You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review's senior editor, Daniel Horowitz. And along with co-host Joe Koss, they break down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering The Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to The Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz. Here in the House on Monday evening, January 23rd, we're already into the first week. Here we are. The dog has caught the car. Republicans have the White House. They have the House. They have the Senate. They have 33 state legislatures. No more excuses. No more false flags. No more complaining about the media, although they're certainly going to be biased. Now is the time to fulfill the promises Stand on the veracity on the, and, and on the messaging of what we affirmatively believe in, and everything should flow from there. You know, a lot of people have been asking me, what do you think of the first few days? Now, obviously, it's so hard to assess even for a normal president, certainly for one who uh, says different things on a daily basis on the same policy, different administration officials contradicting each other. Um, but I want to start off with an analogy. You know, so Trump won as president. What's next? Where do we go from here? So what? The most important thing for conservatives now is to have a healthy dose of skepticism and optimism to look at the opportunities, but make the opportunities happen, not just hope for them, and also not to turn to turn a blind eye to what's going on. Um. The analogy is, is, is like this. What I am concerned about is conservatives being like Leon Lett in the 1993 Super Bowl where he started dancing after he got the interception, got the ball, started dancing at the five-yard line, and he didn't have the ball in the end zone. Uh, Buffalo Bills tight end Bob uh, Don Beebe comes, uh, comes along and strips him of the ball, and it, it's rendered a safety instead of a touchdown. Now, obviously, in that case, it didn't matter. Cowboys won overwhelmingly no matter what. In this case, we didn't win anything. We didn't get any touchdown. We didn't score. So let's not dance. What what we have here is we got possession of the ball. Or I shouldn't say we, I should say Republicans got possession of the ball. All that means is that whereas before there was absolutely no opportunity to score, now there is an opportunity to score. But you got to make that happen. You got to make the plays. And you have to ensure you don't toss interceptions. In other words, all the problems we had until now, we pretty much always have. Well, what were were those problems? Well, we don't really have a GOP team that is committed inexorably to running the ball into the end zone, to, you know, passing the ball down the field and scoring points. We have a GOP that often throws interceptions, throws the ball away, um, we, you know, to continue the analogy, having your offensive linemen instead of block the defenders and allow your guys to move the ball up, our, our offensive linemen block our own people from scoring. That hasn't changed. Like I warned about over the last number of months, the same Republican leadership you have on K Street, the lobbyists, the strategists, and certainly in Congress has not changed one bit. The only thing that has changed is the quarterback. Now, is the quarterback a star quarterback? Well, we don't know yet. 
We know there's a lot of problems with him. We know there's some opportunities with him. He has a new flair to him. Maybe we could ride that and make some good plays. But you got to make that happen. That's where we stand at this point. We're all the way back, deep into our own territory, 80, 90 yards away from the end zone. We got to start ma- making first downs. We start have to start having some good, good running plays. We have to start having everyone on message. And... You know, again, I I wish I could bring you better news, and and we'll start off with the good news. You know, what he did do is he said he's pulling out of TPP, the the Trans Pacific Partnership, although that was pretty much dead already. Um, he issued a federal a freeze on federal hiring, and he reinstated the Mexico City policy, which is the standing ban that Republican presidents have had on U.S. taxpayers funding abortions overseas through U.N. or foreign aid programs. Now, I mean, these are all good things, but again, they were kind of pretty easy, simple, no-brainer stuff that, duh, of course you're going to do that. What I am seeing that's disappointing, and and what I want to go through for the remainder of this broadcast is kind of round-robin on some of the important issues where I see them headed, where I see things going, the red flags I see and the opportunities I see and what, you know, what we need to do about it. And let, let me just say, to preface that, there's an old military adage. I don't know who started it, but it's been around. One of these quotes that where you just don't, don't know who to attribute it to. The main thing is to make sure that the main thing remains the main thing. You know, the first day of this presidency, we got caught in a media fight um, with uh, estimating a size crowd. The, the crowd, I'm sorry, the size of Obama, uh, Trump's inaugural crowd. Really? I mean, this is what we're doing? We're focused on, you know, the women's march. I, I mean, that, again, you have to first have your team together doing righteous things, committed to moving the ball down the field until you, before you could bash the media or the Democrats. What's the purpose in defending your side if your side is not your side? And especially if it's over trivial and stupid things that are demonstrably false. Not that crowd size matters, but I mean, you know, the truth is Trump's spokesman lied. I mean, his his crowd was demonstrably less than Obama's. Now, it was still a nice sized crowd and there's nothing wrong with that. Frankly, who gives a darn? But this is my concern with people like Rush Limbaugh and others and Drudge and, and you know all the betas that have no brain cells to go beyond that, um, that the entire conservative media, which has influence over the conservative grassroots, is going to be focused on, but the Democrats, but Obama, but Hillary, the media, like, you know, so beta. And in the meantime, you know, basically Trump's going to, on a given day, here's what I see happening. Trump's going to do something liberal or along with congressional leadership, or not stop congressional leadership from doing something liberal, on a very important issue, on an important issue that cuts to the core of the mandate, the core of the campaign promise, whether it's repealing Obamacare, amnesty, um, the Iran deal, things like that. Then he'll do something good, but on a much lower scale, less consequential, and then he'll pass gas. You know, just just say something, some sort of personal tit-for-tat with the media. And the entire apparatus of the conservative media is going to be focused on that. And meanwhile, dude, like, do you know they're not repealing Obamacare? So let's start. As it comes to Obamacare, I really have nothing more to share with you other than you've seen from my writing since last time. I mean, they, they 
they have no intention of repealing what's qualitatively 80%. They've turned a winning issue into a losing issue. It's a disaster. It's a bait and switch. They plan on keeping the insurance regs that are responsible for the premium increase. And then even the subsidies, they plan on replacing with more subsidies and basically not really getting rid of the um, Medicaid expansion. I mean, it's an utter disaster. And once you do that, that creates a self-fulfilling prophecy that premiums don't go down. And therefore you get blamed with, oh, the premiums aren't going down. Oh, no, we need a replacement plan. So everything is about replacement, by the way. No one's even talking about repeal. Repeal is off the table. So, again, we're going to be working on that, but there's no sign from the Trump administration that they are that they understand this and that they're working this. Next, I want to move to Mattis. I'm going to tell you right here now, Mattis is an utter disaster. Mattis is... Conservatives are suffering from the Trey Gowdy disease. If some of you don't know what I mean, it means this. Where you have a guy that outwardly has a certain image. Picture, picture like Chris Christie. He has a certain tough image that on paper resonates with the persona of what conservatives are looking for. But as a matter of policy, the guys are really a liberal. Now, again, to be fair, Christie's a liberal. Trey Gowdy wasn't a liberal. Um, but I speak to so many conservatives like, oh my gosh, if I could have one man that I want to be president, it's Trey Gowdy. Because he has this whole shtick going with the prosecutor mentality, the two-minute sound bites he creates for himself on YouTube, where he goes and interrogates witnesses at committee hearings, uh, OGR committee, oversight government reform, and uh, judiciary as well. And and everyone thinks he's this hero. But you know, people like us that follow things closely understood that all along this man was completely in bed with John Boehner. He was one of John Boehner's top loyalists. It, it is what it is. So I see the same thing. You have all these posts, top 10 badass quotes from General Mattis. Look, I think he is an American hero. I think he's a patriot. I think he was a good general. But I got news for you. Being a good general, the same way being a good businessman, doesn't mean you understand or agree or believe in conservative philosophy. It just doesn't. Um, I'm sorry to disappoint people. I mean, Steve Daines, the incoming uh, Secretary of Interior, who's a congressman from Montana, this guy was, I'm just using him as an example, not to bash him, he was the commander of SEAL Team 6. You can't get better than that. I mean, that is as hardcore as it gets. And look, the guy's a run-of-the-mill garden-variety establishment Republican. I mean, again, the art of political warfare is a very specific skill. It's a very specific belief set you either have or you don't. I am hearing from a lot of people in the know, um, as well as a sitting senator and congressman, and many, many people that are in, you know, even involved in, in the transition uh, on the national security side, that Mattis wants to keep all of the Democrat appointees or, or, or appoint Democrats to the De- Department of Defense um, political appointments, all the undersecretary, assistant secretary positions. Um, now, there's one thing when you hear a rumor in a vacuum. There's another thing when you hear a rumor that corroborates everything you're seeing. Um, remember, Mattis had those original comments that were dug up where he said Israel's an apartheid state. That That's a comment that's pretty hard to gloss over. I mean, that is a very revealing comment. It's it's pretty hard to have a conservative worldview on Islam when you say that. I mean, that is very revealing. Now, we kind of overlooked it because he was being bantied about as this amazing patent-style general. It's like, all right, we'll overlook that. But as I told you last week, the confirmation hearing was a disaster. He did not 
he, he did not push back one inch on the most radical social engineering, which I thought was in his wheelhouse. He said he'll keep the Iran deal. Um, he refused to recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital. And a lot of very disturbing things. Um, and I just want to add one piece of evidence to that. Mattis was confirmed 98 to 1. And I know maybe it sounds unfair to judge by, well, if he doesn't have Democrat opposition, so, you know, well, maybe he's so well qualified that even the Democrats are just dazzled by him. But as you well know, anyone who's even not a conservative, Democrats oppose. I mean, Betsy DeVos is an uh, education secretary. Uh, you know, some conservatives love her, some like myself, especially in the Common Core community, remember what she did and understand that while she is definitely a big change from Obama, she is far from kind of what we wanted. Maybe like a Larry Arn, that was someone that, that many of us wanted. Um, but she is, you know, viewed as the devil by the Democrats. Almost every Democrat, I believe, is going to vote against her. So to be approved 98 to 1 tells you a lot. If there was even a modicum of an agenda to get rid of a Democrat foreign policy, I I think you'd I think you'd see a lot more opposition. And again, I'm hearing from a lot of people that uh, this is there, there's more to come here. Um, you know, he wanted to appoint a disastrous guy to oversee the personnel who's going to staff the DOD. Um, I, I don't want to divulge that now who this guy was. I, I believe it was taken back and some patriots pushed back against it. This guy is a very big problem. You know, you put it together with Tillerson, and I'm seeing shades of Bush 41 of the James Baker era of foreign policy. I'm not very impressed with General John Kelly either, a good man, but, you know, in, in terms of immigration and DHS, and we'll get to immigration in a minute. I mean, the right goalpost you have is Mike Flynn, and honestly, Mike Flynn is a Fox News general. He's not that bright. I'm sorry, I'm just being honest. I do think he's more open to our out outside-the-box kind of views um and that's why a guy like mattis if you've read some articles um that have that have alluded to this mattis is in a power power struggle with mike flynn at a um nfc national security council so you know i'm just saying the best we have is mike flynn and i'm not saying he's my my hero here so so that's that you know that that's an utter disaster. And, you know, one of the things we promised to ourselves is that we would drain the swamp, that we would never make the mistake again of GOP presidents who just, you know, get in there and they leave what's intact. But this time it's worse. You're leaving intact the worst personnel in the history of America. Every nook and cranny of every agency, of every office, of every department is an, uh, an, an Obama three-legged stool, social, fiscal, national security, radical leftist. So when you have a guy like Kelly or Mattis or Tillerson that, as it stands now, looks like they're going to keep a lot of these people, that is a very big problem. Now, when it comes to moving the embassy to Jerusalem, I'm here. It sounds good, it's, but it's, you know, every day it's on again, off again. So until I sit and praise that, I want to see it actually, you know, be implemented so who knows what's with that so anyway that is obamacare that is madison defense okay so moving along to scotus pick the supreme court that's the next big issue everyone's talking about uh, trump's going to come out with his nominee within the next couple of weeks um you know as always you remember all our podcasts together all our writings from last year my book, Stolen Sovereignty, is still available at Amazon. 
the courts are immediately broken. They are completely gone. Um, we're not going to pick it simply, fix it simply by picking a better nominee. It's just, it's just not going to happen. Um, if all the reasons we've given, the entire conception of the courts as the, as the sole and final arbiter of our constitution, the just nature of the legal profession, and and the built up false precedent that even a lot of conservative judges, while they don't like, they they go along with it, they tolerate it. Um, so that that that's going to be our main focus. You know, everyone's going to be focused on who who is the nominee, who's the nominee. But I will say, I mean, obviously. You have a GOP Senate, you have a Republican president, you have a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, make the best pick you can. Um, and it's got to be a guy that has a demonstrable record of a Clarence Thomas, a guy that is willing to undo the so-called stare decisis, the so-called false precedent of the 14th Amendment, Commerce Clause, things like that. Um, you, you know, Now, I, I don't have any more information than you guys see online that Neil Gorsuch, the 10th circuit court of appeals judge as the top choice. Now that could be misinformation. It could be Trump putting out a trial balloon. Who knows? But I'm just saying, if that's the case, I'm not that excited. It's not that I think there's anything particularly bad about him. I I don't think anyone on his list is going to be bad. I don't think they're going to be a suitor or a Kennedy, but I think some of them could wind up being a Roberts um, in the, in the sense that they're personally conservative um, they're personally maybe socially conservative, but they are not willing to do what it takes to break out of that mold they're in. I mean, it's no different from many elected Republicans in, you know, executive president or, or Senate or House statewide where they're personally conservative, but they just don't. They're not just not willing to break the mold. And there's very few Clarence Thomases in the business. This guy was a clerk for uh, Justice Byron White and Anthony Kennedy. Now, you know, it's debatable how much you could hold that against him. It's very hard to get a Supreme Court clerkship, and they were officially considered Republican appointees, so whatever. And, you know, a lot of his writings, Gorsuch, that is, Neil's writings are, are, are good, and, you know, his, his decisions have been okay. But there's just nothing that has demonstrated in my mind that this guy is, is you know, if you have one pick, just one pick, that he's the best choice. Um, and in fact, what tends to happen in this business, really in all of politics, I used to have this vetting House candidates. If you don't know the guy to be a fighter, not that you could find any liberal comment from him or issue position he's taken, but if you don't know him to be a guy that's willing to burn down the establishment, it's not going to happen. right? You usually know about that ahead of time. And in this case... I'll just give you an example, and it's similar to what I'm saying with Mattis being confirmed 98 to 1. Um, for you know, George W. Bush is the one who, who appointed him or nominated him to the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals. That nomination sailed through with a voice vote, unanimous voice vote. Now, look, you might say, man, the guy's so impressive, but it doesn't mean he's not a conservative. But I'm just telling you, there were two types of nominees for lower court positions under George W. Bush. There were those like Priscilla Owen of the Fifth Circuit where the Democrats just fought tooth and nail. And for good reason from their perspective. She was one of the few we wound up getting on that Bush didn't give up on. And uh, she's awesome. I mean, she breaks out of the mold. She is called a homophobe, anti-woman, racist, yada, yada. 
And I hate to say it, but anyone who's not called a racist, they're not doing the right thing. Because if you actually believe in the 14th Amendment as it is, you'll be called a racist, even though that's true equality. But that's what my concern, that that this guy, you know, look, if Trump does nominate Neil Gorsuch in the end, and I don't know if he will, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. The Democrats are going to say the guy's a terrible person anyway. They're always going to do that. That's the way our politics is. Even if, even if they nominate an Anthony Kennedy type, they're going to say that um, for Supreme Court. But I think the litmus test is, are they willing to fight a guy like that even for a lower court position? And given that this guy they they really didn't have any beef with, um, it just it just makes me wonder. I just t- To me, we've been burned too many times. The courts are too bad that you need a guy that is downright against the grain. He will work to roll back the precedent, not go along with it. And I think any one of the guys on Trump's list in a, in a perfect world where the judiciary wasn't broken, if we could turn the clock back, back 60, 70 years, I think they'd all be great. Um, we wouldn't have any problems from them. I don't think you know a guy like Neil is certainly not going to sign on to new bad precedent, but I don't think he's going to be a vote to roll back existing bad stuff in many cases, if not all cases. And I think that's what we need if we have one shot at it. If we have a GOP majority, go for it. Go for the gold. Go for your best nominee. Go for a guy like Thomas Lee, you know, Mike Lee's brother. I mean, just guy, you know, some of the other um, state Supreme Court uh, nominees that he had that I think have just a wealth of writing that just defy the system. That's what we need. But uh, we'll, we'll, look, we'll see what happens with that. So moving along. The next big thing, by the way, just on the Iran deal, I just want to go back to my concern. There's, there's more breaking news today with Iran breaking more of the conditions on the sanctions. So, so there you go. I mean, what, what, what a freaking joke. Um, you know, Mattis said at the hearing, and I think other people in the Trump administration have expressed the same talking point that basically oh well we're not going to get rid of it but we're just gonna ensure that iran abides by the terms well they're not abiding by the terms iran was caught importing missile technology from um you know other nations so what are we going to do about it whatever we're not doing anything so the iran deal is not going away unless conservatives get their head out of the sand and actually do something the most imminent problem that i see out of all these issues is Obama's amnesty. I have a piece up on this issue. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. It's a, it's a rather lengthy piece. I go through about four points on this. Trump himself, his spokesman Sean Spicer, and comments from Reince Priebus, who's the biggest troublemaker, his chief of staff, they're making it very clear that they, are not, they, they really don't want to get rid of DACA amnesty. Oh, well, we're not going to do this. Let me tell you something. Every president... Over over promises and under delivers, and we knew a lot of this stuff on you know not letting in Muslim immigrants and that yeah he's not going to do. But at its core, this is a red line. This is illegitimate. It's harmful. There is of all the imperialistic things Obama did, this was the most foundational breach of our sovereignty. As I note in um, Federalist sixty eight sixty nine, when Hamilton contrasts the role of a president versus the role of the king, he actually uses this as a paradigm. He uses immigration. He says something to the effect, I don't have the quote in front of me, whereas a a king could make a denizen out of an alien, um, a president can confer no rights whatsoever. 
And I'm hearing Trump people say, well, I don't know. We got to find a solution for the dreamers. What do you mean we have to? And I, I've done a whole podcast on this before, how, you know, just because there's sympathy, just because someone, you know, didn't do anything wrong, it doesn't mean it's our fault either. Just because children of illegals are, are here of, of no fault of their own, well, it, it's of no fault of American taxpayers and American uh, workers and our sovereignty either, where the more we have this so-called compassion, the more it grows legs and the more it fosters more illegal immigration. It's the same thing I've always said with the Jordanian Arabs living in Judea and Samaria. Yeah, I mean, a lot of them by now, 40 years later, they're children of the illegal Jordanian occupation. It's not their fault, but it's not Israel's fault either. And, you know, they shouldn't have to lose their sovereignty because of it. And it's a similar thing here. But I just want to address one particular point that's very concerning, and it, and it demonstrates an ignorance about what Obama's amnesty is. The same way they're ignorant about what Obama Obamacare is, and that's why they're ignorant about repealing it. Same thing here. DACA amnesty is not just, okay, we're not going to deport these people. DACA amnesty is the issuance of affirmative proactive benefits. They are issuing Social Security cards. Um, As of two years ago, almost three years by now, uh, 541,000 were issued. Probably now it could be closer to a million um, Social Security cards, people that are here against the national will, they are not Americans. Obama did this unilaterally. He's giving them tens of thousands of dollars, as much as 35000 per family in refundable tax credits, work permits. So when, when Sean Spicer gets up there and says, well, it's not our priority. We're going to focus on criminal aliens. First of all, that's exactly what Obama said. I mean, what is this animal farm? We've come full circle. Even if you're not going to prioritize deporting them, but you don't affirmatively give them amnesty, that has to go. And unlike Obamacare, which absolutely must be repealed legislatively, and it can be, but it's a tough fight, um, this can be done with the stroke of a pen. Garbage in, garbage out. There is no excuse. I know he's busy, and I know you know you can't expect everything in the first 72 hours, but definitely within the first few weeks, it's only going to get harder. Everyone expects radical change now. And at its core... And this is what he ran on. This is the single biggest thing that excited the base. Where is it? Look, maybe he won't listen to Ryan's previous. But I can't sit here and make excuses for Trump or cheerlead for him or deny what's going on. There are better elements in the administration, but there are people like Ryan's previous that are pro-amnesty. Conservatives need to assert pressure to ensure that Ryan's gets the bottom of the deck and and uh, you know everyone else is is, is strengthened because it's not going to happen on its own. And, and and I'll note in addition to that, um, you know when asked a question about refugees during this uh, dur- during the the, the daily uh, gaggle with the press, Spicer said, "Oh, you know, uh, go 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 speak to the State Department about that." I mean, really? I mean. I'm already not expecting a full moratorium on refugees. We get that. But at least some sort of a slowdown, at least a limitation from Syria and Somalia. I mean, really? I mean, maybe he'll do it. I don't know. I'm just saying I am not seeing this. So, you know, we could focus on the Mexico City policy, the freeze in federal workers, and, and, you know, it's good, and I'm glad he fulfilled that. But these are the major issues. Repeal of Obamacare, repeal of amnesty, refugees, Iran deal. This cuts to the core of the most harmful, most unpopular things that Obama did and the easiest things that, that speak to who Trump is, what he campaigned on, that absolutely must be repealed. So, 
you know, the lesson here is we got the ball. We can't assume the ball's in the end zone. It's not in the end zone. In fact, many cases we're 90, 100 yards away. We got to start making the plays. We got to start demanding change. We got to um, focus on most importantly on what is important. And uh, and that's why you guys got to turn into conservative review. Uh, you know, I, I'm promising to work full time here. More, you know, you already see I have a number of articles up this week exposing stuff on on a wealth of issues. We're gonna have, God willing, my report on free markets for free people. Twenty free market healthcare ideas. What we should affirmatively stand for in healthcare. Um, really looking forward to that. Hopefully, we'll be out by the end of the week. We're going to have a lot of other reports on domestic policy. And then CRTV, get your subscription to CRTV.com. Um, Mark Levin is, is like I said, he's one of the only ones who, who who's willing to talk about this stuff. And also, I'm really excited to announce, guess who's joining? Our buddy, my personal friend, one of my best friends, Steve Dace, is now going to be a part of CRTV. So um, there is no excuse for not signing up for your subscription. And as always, patronize our do- our uh, sponsors here. Preparewithcr.com, our buddies at Patriot Supply. Um, your 140 meals, delicious ready-made meals for your home supply for just 99 bucks. And uh, like I said, guys, let's not hope for change. Let's not be a bunch of vacuous leftists. Let's ensure of it. I don't care if conservative review is the only outlet doing this. We need it. We need to do this right here, right now. Um, what's next is not written into law. The die, That die is not cast. Trump's very much a blank slate. A lot of the people around him are a blank slate. There's a lot of conflicting things. There's a lot of good people around him. There's a lot of bad people around him. Um, and it's all going to depend on whether we hold him accountable and put the pressure on from the right. Or if we're silent and we're like there with the rockets and dancing and just focus on, oh, well, Trump was right when he said the crowd size was a record and the media, the media, the media. No, it's time to man up, stand for what we believe in, especially on the bedrock issues that that there's just no excuse to avoid. So we're going to have more updates, full pedal to the metal, make conservative, conservative review or homepage, the conservative conscience. Um, your go-to podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Thanks for listening, folks. God bless. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience.